Hi, my name is Ebony Joy. Welcome to Solidarity Economy Shorts, a collaboration between New Economy Coalition and Cooperative Journal Media. Solidarity Economy Shorts are conversations with frontline organizations and individuals that are putting solidarity economy principles into practice. They're using different strategies to build an economic system where communities are meeting their own needs outside of capitalism. New Economy Coalition is a membership representing the solidarity economy ecosystem in the United States. Their members are actively working across economic sectors to shift from individuality and capitalism to cooperation and solidarity. Some of the New Economy members will be featured on this podcast to explore topics like land justice, cooperation, arts and culture, resource mobilization, and more. We'll share lessons learned, practices, and how you can engage in this liberatory vision. As you listen, you're invited to feel into your body. When do you sense constriction? When do you feel light and expansive? We hope these shorts can be a reminder that we don't have to wait for the future we dream of. It is here now, waiting for us to participate. Co-op Dayton is developing and weaving a network between cooperative businesses that are meeting the needs of their local community. They are using community and worker ownership as a catalyst to transform Dayton's Black and working class neighborhoods. In this episode, I speak with program and co-executive directors Sherelle Gardner and Amaha Selassie. They begin with defining what a cooperative is and different ownership structures within it, how cooperative businesses can meet the needs of a disinvested post-industrial city like Dayton, Ohio, some of the models they have incubated like Tribe, a shared service co-op of holistic perinatal practitioners. They also invite us to think beyond the metrics of success within capitalism, what solidarity and cooperation looks like in our day-to-day lives, and how we can show up in solidarity. Hi, Sherelle and Amaha. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. We're so thankful to be here. Yes. I'm so thankful that you carved out time in your day to speak with me about Co-op Dayton and the amazing work that y'all are doing for local cooperative development in Ohio. (laughs) So before we begin and talk more about what Co-op Dayton is, I would like for you to share what is a cooperative? Yeah, you know, I think uh, cooperatives are, you know, an association of people that come together um, oftentimes to to meet a need that they have, like, collectively amongst each other, you know. And so, uh, you know, if it's building a grocery store or if it's, you know, needing insurance, mutual health insurance, or, you know, at one point even, like, places to bury our dead, you know, it's like, cooperatives are like whatever there is a need in our community, you know, that is bigger than like one person can do. It's like like how collectively people can come together and share their resources towards uh, meeting their needs. And I'm sure there's more technical examples, so I'm not sure you want to chime in. Or- 
Yeah, there's definitely more, uh, lots of technical examples. The simplest one that always speaks to me is a co-op is anything that's collectively owned, controlled, and um, benefiting its members, usually through like profit sharing. There's also different types of cooperative models, and I don't know if you want to speak to what those are or maybe specifically ones that you all work with. Yeah, I've noticed people have different names for them, but uh, the most common that I've seen are producer co-ops where people are aggregating goods and selling them together to get better access to the market. Um, consumer co-ops where people are collectively purchasing and accessing goods together. Worker co-ops where the co-op is owned by people who are working there, people whose labor is making the business successful. And then multi-stakeholder or solidarity co-ops, which is like some sort of combination of all of those things. And then within those things, there's been some really cool models of different subsectors. So you'll have like shared service co-ops where independent LLCs come together to um, share like back office support. Uh, So those are some of the models that we've seen but are also experimenting with here in Dayton. That was so succinct. I actually (laughs) didn't even know about the the LLCs coming together to support because, yeah, I think that that's really important for maybe uh, a typical business model to also be woven into a cooperative type of network with other solo businesses. And also loved what you touched on, Amaha, because it reminds me of Collective Courage, this amazing mm-hmm. book that Jessica Gordon Nemhart. <laughs> yes, and it really gets down to the roots of the cooperative economy in the US that was created by black people. Yeah. And so there's obviously so many bit benefits of having a cooperative model, but there's also some critiques. And some people say that they cannot be financially sustainable, that the processing to get things done takes too long because of the group decision making, and also that they can't even survive within capitalism. And this book, Collective Courage, showed that there's so much resilience and power that comes through cooperative models. And so I would also like for you to speak on like some of the current ways you see that co-ops are benefiting and how we can kind of dissolve this narrative. Yeah, you know, shout out to Dr. Jessica, you know what I mean? I mean, she's like a our, our living Shiro, you know what I mean? As far as like providing a, a North Star that countless people across the country and world are, are you know, using as a means of liberation, right? Because I think like the key thing that Dr. Jessica highlights is that, you know, the freedom movement historically has had community transformation coupled with economic development, right? And over time, that has been like separated where community transformation was seen as community transformation and economic development was seen as economic development instead of realizing that we need both, right? Like, because we need like uh, uh, 
a vision of what we're trying to do. Like, what is our collective hope? And then we need like the economic engine to like drive it and like, like give us the strength and power to make it happen. Right. And so, because especially in black and brown communities that's been uh, subject to intense underdevelopments, you know, like, like how are we practicing self-determination, you know, and, and like bringing those two together seems like really the only way uh to do it you know what i mean in in a holistic and sustainable way you know and so so it's like the power of like collective intelligence collective decision making you know what i mean and participation right that is like like we are like working together towards whatever the future is we're trying to create because especially in communities that's been underdeveloped you know we are over promised and under delivered which, which creates a trauma right and so like which hinders our gifts from coming out you know so like in the process of participation it's like how are we bringing our gifts out you know what i mean how are we showing up in our full selves like how do we create communities even where like our full gifts are in display and interacting with each other and cooperatives are like a a vehicle to do that you know and then just the hope of that releases the power that comes from bringing our gifts to the center you know so to me it's like like how we're building collective hope in the community I would also challenge, like, what are the metrics of success that we're looking at that tell us that co-ops aren't successful? If you're looking at metrics that are typically used under capitalism, where it's like, how big can you grow? How fast can you move? How much money can you make? Then, of course, co-ops can't compete because they weren't designed or envisioned to be able to use those as metrics of success. But if you look at, like, can they produce sustainable jobs? for people who live in the community? Can they provide needed resources for the community? Can they bring a community together to protect a needed asset? Then absolutely co-ops are a better option than your traditional business. Yeah, and and I think resiliency, right? Like during during COVID or during economic turns, you know what I mean? Like co-ops have been proven to be more resilient than uh, pure, you know, traditional businesses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also COVID really like unveiled a lot of the issues of capitalism and people were like, oh, my job really isn't giving me that self-determination that I need. What are the alternatives? And I also try to not use the word alternative when it comes to clubs. I'm like, it shouldn't be always this very niche thing that cannot become something that is common in a community. And so I see it as uh, something that is inherent within us. And it's just a remembering process. And these corporations are not allowing us to have the participation that we need in our communities that allow us to have collective agency. Mm. Like they come in communities and they are generally the ones deciding what is best for a community, even though they don't live there. And so I think that it's so important to have co-op businesses that are like actually ran by the community, owned by the community, and they are part of the decisions of how it is ran, how it is developed, and Um, can really remind us of that collective self-determination that we have. I know that you you just have have me just thinking, right, of like how, uh, you know, the extractive nature oftentimes of, you know, 
uh, corporate businesses when they're coming into communities, right? You know, I mean, like their their sole goal is how to how to make profit. COVID showed this moment of like, man, like we fundamentally are like been operating within a system and an idea that actually is not lined up with reality. You know what I mean? And so like, like, how are we building more cooperation? How are we rooting ourselves in love? You know what I mean? All these things that I think are like necessary towards like building the, not only the economy, but the future world that, that, that so many aspire to around the globe, especially in this hour. Definitely. And it ignited people's creativity in so many ways. And I think that that's also a shift from like, a corporation to a co-op is that a corporation is supporting consumerism and a cooperative is more rooted in like what can we create together yeah sorrel could I, i'm gonna can you talk about uh uh our delivery co-op that we that kind of propped up during COVID as an example of that yeah so during COVID, uh all the restaurants were struggling and we have this neighborhood in Dayton called the Oregon District that has all these bars and restaurants. And so they came together and approached Co-op Dayton of, could we imagine a delivery co-op that is competitive or an alternative to like an Uber Eats or a DoorDash? Because that is extracting so much of the revenue that these restaurants are barely surviving off of. So um, with support of University of Dayton and Co-op Dayton and city and uh, county funding, we were able to put together a platform called 937 Delivers that allow restaurants and the drivers to collectively own the business and deliver for the restaurants. And it was really beautiful because all the restaurants who had uh, front of house staff and some back of house staff who were underemployed because the restaurants uh, had less business and weren't doing uh, in-house service, were able to be drivers for the delivery co-op and help cover some of the hours that they were missing during the pandemic. And it was one of those moments where unfortunately the co-op did, fortunately or unfortunately, the co-op did have to close. It wasn't financially sustainable once we came out of that period, but it was an example of sometimes just for a moment, people need something to exist and can come together and build what they need to survive. And I'm pretty sure that at least the restaurants and bars that I'm thinking of, no one closed since joining the co-op and they're still all operational. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like, like when businesses, you know, restaurants were hit hard during COVID, you know what I mean? And then, you know, Uber Eats extracts so much, it was like 30% or 30%. something like that. Like, it's like, it's ridiculous how much money like they charge the restaurants, you know what I mean? And so, like this provide a way for for the restaurants locally to sustain themselves, you know what I mean, through 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 co-ops, you know what I mean, during a, a time of great stress, you know. Even though the co-op didn't continue to exist, it was probably the backbone of these restaurants sustaining themselves. And exactly. that's also why I love co-ops because they're just so adaptable and respondent to the current moment. Sure. And since you already started to talk about some of the work that Co-op Dayton does, maybe you can give an overview of what Co-op Dayton is. Co-op Dayton is like a um, a, a co-op incubator, I would say, based off of, uh, to some extent, the Majigan model. Like, like, we're still, like, learning and growing and how to adapt it 
locally and I would say like co-op Cincy, you know what I mean? It has been like a, a strong like guide for us along this journey, you know, but like, um, so we're, we're, uh, we're trying to build like a cooperative ecosystem um, with our first co-op uh, being the Gym City Market, which is um, a community grocery store uh, in an area that has been underdeveloped through redlining, and there was 40,000 residents and no full-service grocery store, right? So, like, we were birthed out of the need that, like, there was no box stores coming, and people had to take two buses to get to the grocery store, and it was like, so how do we, uh, you know, come together to 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 meet to meet our our need, you know what I mean? So now we got... Um, 15,000 square foot grocery store with a teaching kitchen and a community room and just uh, a way to strive to, to increase access to fresh fruits and vegetables in the community, you know, and then we also have a makerspace, which, which I will not do justice, so I'll let Sherelle talk about that. And there's a doula co-op called uh, Tribe, you know, and so like like we're, we're building a cooperative um, ecosystem uh, towards like like whatever things that we need in our community and, and self-determination. Um, so I'm gonna let Sherelle expand. Yeah. And I think I always appreciate hearing about how to talk about how uh, Co-op Dayton came to be because it started with the idea of how do we address food apartheid in Dayton and specifically West and Northwest Dayton. And so they kind of happen upon the co-op model. It was a model that was responsive to what the community was experiencing. It wasn't just a bunch of people who were obsessed with co-ops. It like truly met a need. And from that um, and learning about that and beginning to implement it with the grocery store, they really saw and began to imagine what if there was this interconnected network of co-ops? Because to your point of co-ops not being sustainable, it's often because they can't compete under capitalism. But what allows them to do so is being connected to other cooperatives um, and then working together to provide for the workers and for the community that they're in. And so it was under the under those conditions of we're starting a market, but in order for the market to survive, we need to be connected and a part of something bigger that Co-op Dayton was born. Um, and also just out of recognition that the cooperative structure in Ohio doesn't allow them to raise philanthropic dollars. And so it was like, this is a great opportunity to get philanthropy, to make a more sustainable business, but we can't do it just as a co-op. We have to have like a, more of an incubator model. And so that's how Co-op Dayton was born. And since then, we've helped support over 20 businesses, um, had 200 people who have gone through our training programs and as a part of our network currently have five network members that are across multiple industries. So we kind of see ourselves as a creative, like we're not really prescriptive of we only do consumer co-ops or we only do worker co-ops. The sector is really a container for the values of the people who are coming together to build that enterprise. So uh, like Amaha mentioned, we have Tribe, which is our perinatal co-op, and they're the shared service co-op of doulas and yoga instructors and massage therapists all coming together to share training, peer support, and back office support for their independent businesses, but also like open to other uh, people in those industries who need peer support and need training or want to partner with independent practitioners to provide better services to their clients. 
Um, and we've evolved over the years. Like we started out, like we're the incubator. We're helping to start this co-op. But in order to really support the community in the way that we need to and be a part of the community in the way that we need to, to build a new economy, uh, we can't operate one at a time. And there's so many people out there who are talented to where if we just kind of share the lessons that we've learned and help give them the structure that we've built over the years, they can take that and help build their business with our support. So now we have more of a like medium touch kind of model where we're working with multiple teams at a time, sharing our learnings from Gem City Market and other co-ops that we've worked with um, and helping kind of guide them through the process as well as offering capital through fiscal sponsorship and lending in order to help them start and expand their business. Wow, y'all are doing so much. I love the transparency about co-ops too, that it's this sense of like we, our success is is also a reflection of your success. And it's not like this competitive nature. And actually that's one of the co-op principles is cooperation amongst co-ops. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that sometimes there's a gap in that from what I've seen, but y'all are doing it and on a local level and even going beyond that of cooperation amongst individual businesses, which generally tends to be even harder for independent businesses to grasp like, oh, we're not in competition and actually we can support each other mm -hmm. to have more success in our businesses. So I love that. Yeah. It's also challenging some of the myths of entrepreneurship. Like how often we hear, oh, I did this by myself. And like that is such a small piece of the story. There are so many people who helped you along the journey, so many doors that were open that you just got to walk through. And um, I think also sometimes people just underestimate their own skill set, which forces them to hoard information. Mm. Like they're like, I can't tell you who my vendor or my supplier is because you'll steal that from me and start a business. It's like that little bit of information is all it took for you to be successful. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, somebody else can restart your business. Like often we underestimate and don't see our own value yeah. of it took time, it took your energy, it took your creativity, and that can't be duplicated. And so we have to take that and be willing to share it with other people, like recognize our own gifts and talents and the complexity of creating a business and this work. When we start to unpack that, people tend to be a lot more open to sharing because they realize, like, I can't be duplicated. My skills can't be replicated and neither can this other person's. And so if we come together, we're even more powerful in creating what we need. Yes. And also on an energetic level, we cannot be duplicated. And so the energy that we bring to a collective space as well as our individual businesses are going to be unique and beneficial. It's going to be reciprocal. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So can you tell a little bit about the economic landscape of Dayton? Like what was it before? How did you all get to the point of living in food apartheid? 
you know, Dayton used to be a a, a very industrial uh, town. Like we we were known as like you know was like a a thousand patents or something. It was some crazy number of like patents. Like Dayton was known as the city of innovation and 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 all of these things, right? But uh, you know. Through deindustrialization, you know, like we lost the GM plants, we, we lost NCR, you know, we lost meat, like we lost all of these things where like the back, like the cash register was made here, right? The electronic starter was made here, you know, like, like all of these things, like, like we lost, uh, we lost that, you know, uh, Dayton is separated by a river where 98% of all black folk that live in Dayton live on the west side. And then on the east side is uh, white uh turkish uh, uh latino and uh, african refugees right and so um that led to like this period of deep disinvestment you know and so like 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 when the market uh was starting to be birthed you know around um i don't know like 2015 ish 2016 that like uh you know, there was no development on the west side you know and so like like, like this was like that first like testing the water that like, yo like 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 not only uh do we deserve more cause i think sometimes like we accept the unacceptable you know especially when you live in the area that's been underdeveloped for so long we can go a couple miles away and you'll see two grocery stores on the corner <laughs> you know what i mean it's a uh, um but like it was also this thing that like like we could do this together you know what i mean like so the one thing that like i, I i've learned from this process is that like change actually is possible that community does have the power to transform our lived environment, you know, like collectively uh, together. And so um, we started with the grocery store and we've expanded out, but I would just say that like, um, we have the saying that like, it's more the market, it's a movement, you know? And so it's like, like how did, how can the market be like this one piece in a larger uh, transformation of 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 Dayton, you know. But uh, Dayton as a whole, compared to the region, um, I would say is very, it's still real underdeveloped in some kind of ways, right? Like like our medium income, it might be thirty something now, you know what I mean? But it was like twenty six a couple of years ago, you know. So like it's a very, I would say, economically depressed area. It's on the rise. You know, but I would say that, um, you know, both sides, black, white, Latino, you know, Turks community, we're, we, we've all been kind of in a, in a state of underdevelopment. You know, I mean, look at it on a, on a regional level. Yeah. And um, I know I have family who's originally from here. And so I remember like the stories of Dayton having this thriving black middle class, uh, mostly based around manufacturing. And even as you look at how neighborhoods are designed, especially in West Dayton, you'll see there's a large formerly industrial building that's been let go. And around it, there's all these housing developments. And so like neighborhoods were built around these manufacturing companies to house the people working at those businesses. And so when they left, it extracted this major resource from the entire community. And so, like Amaha said, when like the NCR left, when the GM left, um, then you see people leave the neighborhood because people want to live around their jobs, around their their um, their source for funding. And so, when people left, then other resources left. The grocery stores left, the dry cleaner left, the bank left. And so, you have these neighborhoods where you can drive down the street and every other house is boarded up. 
you could probably, there's some par parts of Dayton where you could buy an entire block for a million dollars and redevelop mm -hmm. it. Oh, wow. And so instead of letting outside people come and see this empty space with these opportunities and imagine it for themselves, how do we use cooperative models to imagine it for ourselves? How can cooperatives be a defense against gentrification, right? So how are we to are we the protagonists in our stories, you know what I mean? And rewriting our narratives, you know what I mean? Because like West Side, man, like West Side Dayton has all these negative connotations that's been connected to it by stories written outside of ourselves, right? And so like, how are we rewriting our own story with us as like the authors and the drivers of it, you know what I mean? Instead of just like recipients, you know? Absolutely. And we're seeing that happen now. Like there was a period where like nobody was coming here. Nobody was coming to provide fresh food to West and Northwest Dayton. Um, and the city was stumped. Like, how are we going to solve this problem? It was just, we're going to, maybe another Dollar General will come and offer TV dinners and snacks for the community. But it wasn't until a community came together and built a grocery store that now there's this resource. And now we see people coming in, we see development happening, we see people buying up the homes. Like, this looks pretty good, I think I'll settle here. But how do you protect it and make sure it's for the people who were committed to the neighborhood and to the community to begin with? Or for the people who have been pushed out of these neighborhoods and make this a space where they can come back to? That's also, uh... I guess a window of opportunity when there is underdevelopment in a community that it's almost like a blank canvas mm. where you can dream up and build something different. And similar things happened in Detroit where mm -hmm. you, you could buy yeah. houses for a dollar and so much radical initiatives were created from that. It's like, but it's a challenge because like, so like as development happens, like who's driving that, right? Like whose cultural values is is driving it is is right. is the challenge, you know what I mean? And um I think like, you know, like it is it, it, it requires like deep work in inside of the community, you know what I mean? And I think we're still like learning as we go, you know what I mean? And so it's it's almost like like once development starts happening. I think the key is like like who is ultimately like driving it, you know, and 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 it's like you know, yeah, like 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 community has to rise to the occasion, you know what I mean? And I think being conscious of like 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 what we can do, how we can leverage our resources together, you know, is all like key. But we're excited to be able to go learn from other peers. Next week, we'll be in Asheville visiting yes. with our C Commons peers, especially Poder Emma, that's doing amazing work around housing and real estate. So there are incredible models out there that we get to learn from. We don't have to figure it all out ourselves. I see. Mm -hmm. Are there any other models you want to talk about that Co-op Dayton is incubating. I know that also you all support manufacturers to adopt co-op models, which I think is really interesting, especially since these manufacturers, maybe there's some that's been there since it was an industrialized city. So I'm curious how you all are working with them to shift towards a co-op model. Yeah. So starting out, 
um, in parallel with Gym City Market, there was uh, people on the team who tried to explore conversions of existing manufacturing companies for that exact reason. There are companies that are still here. Manufacturing hasn't left our region. It's just smaller and more specialized than it was in the past. And so we tried that for several years and didn't have any success. And so now we're trying to reimagine what manufacturing could look like for our city. And as much we would love, <laughs> just quick plug, we would love for these manufacturing companies to convert to employee-owned companies. But there are people in this city who are experimenting with a new type of manufacturing, a new age of it, of like the at-home people who are starting their own sewing businesses, the people who are buying laser cutters and personalizing things and settling them on Etsy, the artists who are digitizing their work and making prints and t-shirts. And so we wanna go where the energy is, where the people already are and show how they can take the business that they've started out of their home and build that into a co-op that can provide sustainable jobs and some of the products that our community needs. We're doing that through our Makerspace Co-op, which is a co-op that's owned by the community, mostly business owners who are trying to start their businesses across a variety of different types of small batch manufacturing industries. And our hope is that by experimenting with the co-op model as member owners while they grow their individual businesses, it'll give them some insight into how they can grow their own business by collaborating with other people who they meet in the space. So maybe you're a woodworker, you're like, I wanna make tables and to take it to the next level, I need a metal worker. And so maybe the two of you work together and grow into a worker co-op that produces Dayton's first furniture line or something like that. So we're, we're experimenting and really just creating spaces for people to explore and learn and grow together. Yeah, you know, and so it's like, it's just seeing this way of like, you know, like how we're like building this next generation that has access to, you know, to this equipment and like opens up these possibilities that man, like, like, like how, how can I see myself in this work and provide possibilities, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I I love what a makerspace is, is doing, I'm still, learning and growing on on like like how it all how it all operates you know what i mean but it, it's just uh, amazing to see like the power that it has to activate a community and build a local economy like like Cheryl was saying like you know all the individual houses are now like having a way to come together and to build together and have access to equipment they didn't have before you know and so it's like how do you create the space you know what i mean to allow people to step into their vision and activate their gifts on a higher level and scale Mm-hmm. And it shows the assets that a community has, like material assets, but also the skills that they have and are willing to share with each other yeah. to really like ignite that creativity within us. Amaha, you spoke a lot about like rewriting narratives and how we need to be the ones telling our stories. And so what is the story that you all want to create and co-opt in around solidarity economy and cooperative models? And what's the story that you envision on a wider scale? Mm, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. You know, like, I, I think like, 
I think it's like a sense of knowing that like, like we truly are the ones we've been waiting for, you know, and, and not like, it, it sounds great, but it's like, man, like, like we truly are, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, if not us, then, then, then who, you know? And so it's like, like, how do we build a world that acknowledges human dignity and, and how we build an economy that is grounded in human dignity, you know? And like, cause like sometimes like we see it as separate that, oh, there's human dignity and then there's economy and they're they're at odds with each other, you know what I mean? And that that economy is based upon exploitation, you know? And so it's like, like how are we building a world that's, that's grounded in, in fundamental equality and human dignity and then building out from there, you know? Like, like how do we build a space where all our gifts and talents are being utilized, you know what I mean? In that process of being utilized, we're, we're building an economy and good paying jobs, you know, and of, of how to like move our community forward. So like for me personally, I, I just, I believe beloved community is possible. And like, I don't think that is something that we have to wait for. It's all about like how we acknowledge each other. And to a certain extent, it's like, like, how can we create something that shows what's possible that like other places around the globe can also know what's possible, you know what I mean? Even as like, like we're, we're looking at other people around the globe, you know what I mean? It's like imaginal cells, you know what I mean? Like 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 different communities are rising up with these different ways that are like kind of centered in human dignity, et cetera, et cetera. And we're learning from each other, you know what I mean? Cause this is like the human story, you know what I mean? And it feels like we're at that point of decision where, you know, King would say chaos or community, you know what I mean? But I, I, I would also say like status quo or interdependence, you know what I mean? They're like, we're at this point of we gotta choose, you know what I mean? It's like, man, and like like those that choose community we gotta like embody community you know what i mean we gotta embody cooperation you know what i mean it's like I, I, these fundamental shifts that like we have to make and so i think like it's inherent that we embody it that we make it known that it's possible you know and then by making it possible then people have a social choice you know what i mean like like if you show two dirt glasses of dirty water then like how do you choose you know what i mean but like the more that we like make visible that oh this actually you know in all this complexity and messiness you know what i mean there still is a way you know and then like that that can inspire others like oh now i can choose you know what i mean like i don't want this dirty water no more or even we might not even see the water is dirty until you see clean water like damn this whole time i've been drinking dirty water and like this is clean water over here now so how do i hop over you know what i mean and so it's like how do we like create these type of spaces you know what i mean like locally and globally and i think the cool thing is like you know i've been traveling around a lot is that like it's happening globally right now. You know what I mean? Like this is not an isolated incident. You know what I mean? But like people are rising up all over the globe and work and figuring out different ways to work together as community. And then we're coming together as various communities right now and building up that larger ecosystem. You know what I mean? And so it's it's exciting time to witness this. You know. Sherelle, do you want to add anything? I'm, I'm just like processing and taking it all in. I love the opportunities to hear and learn from Maha. Um, I also think about when you talk about rewriting our stories or reclaiming our stories of reclaiming our stories of the past. Mm. The capitalism is new. How we're functioning and not fully seeing ourselves is interdependent, is new. And so when we talk to like our grandparents or hear stories of that generation, I remember hearing stories of how everyone had a, a garden in their backyard, even chickens in the city in their backyard, and they would trade and exchange amongst their neighbors and how everyone looked out from each other 
But that story has been stolen from our collective memory oftentimes. And so like, how do we reclaim that history for ourselves? Um, yeah. I appreciate that, Sherelle, because you made me to think of like Sankofa, right? Like how we how we look forward as we're moving backwards. And shout out to to Dr. Jazz from National Black Food Justice Alliance, you know, because she talks about how like cooperation is like our ancient technology. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like it's like like it's this way that we had of being and seeing each other and seeing ourselves in relation to each other. You know, it's like like right now it's like recapturing our culture. You know what I mean? And so some ways from a from a black lens perspective, it's like we're reimagining blackness, you know what I mean? Beyond the gaze of like white imagination, you know what I mean? Like, like we've had this whole thing like pressed upon us and now like we're breaking free and we're using like like cooperatives and organizing in general as a way of like, like what is this black future that we are creating? You know what I mean? That is not excluding anybody. You know what I mean? Like, like we're not like denying people's human dignity in the process. You know what I mean? But it's like, like, like but how we're moving forward, you know what I mean? And uh, paving a way that that generations to come can be normalized in a new space. You know, like, like Franz Fanon said that each generation got to like rise to the occasion to meet the needs of that generation. You know what I mean? And it feels like we're at the same, man. We're going to pass this, these intergenerational wounds to future generations. Or are we going to be the generation that has those tough and honest hard conversations to, to, to truly, you know, uh, like I used to say, like building a, a shared future from a divided past, but really our future is always shared. It's just that, are we gonna, are we gonna take the, be intentional about like building that shared future together? You know what I mean? And that's what I think is like the challenge of this hour. Yeah. And I wanna give credit to, like it, it still exists in some places. I think we have just been um, trained not to recognize it. Like solidarity shows up in our families, it shows up in our churches, it shows up in our formal and informal social groups. It's like every moment where your car breaks down and someone gives you a ride to work or to the grocery store. Um, we have these practices as a part of our survival because we would have no other way to survive if we weren't relying on one another. We just have to make that the norm and not just a, a survival strategy. It is just a way of being in space and in community with one another. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I can get real heady, but like like the practical is what she just said, right? Like it's already happening. You know what I mean? So like, how do we have, how do we make visible what's already taking place? And, and yeah. you know what I mean? Cause like we, we do it constantly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this was our being long before capitalism. Okay. It even was something that we practice much longer than capitalism has existed. And yeah. so it's crazy yeah. how this is something that is the status quo and it's disconnecting us from our source mm -hmm. because our source has lived much longer than capitalism. <laughs> and that's what capitalism has to do to survive. It has to make us forget. It has to feel normal. Otherwise, we would do something else that would eventually end capitalism. Like you were saying, Sherelle, that this is already happening in our communities in small ways, what solidarity looks like. And so how can people show up to this moment? Yeah, I think the most important thing or one of the most important would be recognizing that it's happening. 
but who gets to benefit off of it, right? Like we work in solidarity in our workplaces. They tell us to get along and get our work done and work in teams, right? But who gets to profit off of the labor and the benefit that that produces? It's typically not us unless you work in a co-op. And so like see how it's happening and how capitalism and the bosses and uh, people are benefiting off of your solidarity with one another and think of how do we turn that around so that we get to benefit off of our own creativity and solidarity and collaboration uh, so that it benefits us in the way that we need it to. I say, I would triple co-sign with, with <laughs> where she is. At. And, and I, I think like the other piece to it that, that she mentioned in the beginning, I think is like, uh, how we're moving from aspiration to acceptance, you know, like, like, like there's a changing of the season happening right now. And like, it's one thing to aspire that like one day in the great by and by, or it's nothing to know that, yo, like, 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 like it's right now, you know what I mean? And like, the more that we know that we know that we know that of the moment that we're in, the more we can act true to that moment, you know what I mean? And so like, I think like the more that we're acting true, then the more that that, that pathway gets more visible, you know what I mean? And there's like all these people that are, that are, man, like, 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 like we, there's a better way. There's a, there's a different way, you know what I mean? And, and so like, like how do we live true to those aspirations in the moment you know what i mean so it's like how to live more fearless in in the way that we move amongst each other and i'm learning myself you know what i mean like 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 you know we got we're walking and crawling into this thing you know what i mean but it's like like how to cast off these these uh these things that don't serve us you know what i mean and and to truly um live into the moment and and find out what is possible mm-hmm. and study is such a good way collective study is such a good way yeah. to know this and y'all were doing this at co-op day in with the economics for emancipation course which is a free course that anybody can do yeah. and it's self-guided and it's all around different economic systems and so yes study and also this podcast emerged from knowing that something was wrong and I wanted to figure out what were these other models around the world so that people could be like, oh, if they did that, what can I create in my own community or what can I tap into in my own community? So also look for the groups that are doing solidarity, economy, and cooperative type of work Invest in those businesses, put your money in those businesses, maybe become a member if that's a possibility. But there's so many ways to plug in on like the micro level of like how you relate to the people around you, even your neighbors, especially. Do you communicate with them? Do you know what their needs are? And from that, I'm sure there's so much that can be cultivated together. So thank you all so much for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you you for your work and for creating this space. I know we're all going to learn together, having all of these different mediums for absorbing this information. I say say, you create a watering hole, you know, that we can all come and and learn together. So I appreciate it. And opportunity to share, you know, and learn. There are many ways you can be in reciprocity with us. If you are or know of a collective model that aligns, let's connect so we can spotlight the story. 
Share episodes, especially with your friends and family who aren't aware of collective models but are unfulfilled with this economy. With your support, we can continue archiving the stories that aren't being elevated but are necessary for our collective elevation.